No, but when I fly an airplane in first class, you're like, oh my gosh. See, people, you you got to stop thinking of first class like first class. First it is class no, it is, is yeah. human class. Yeah, it really is. It really, human really class. <laughs> I kind of wish I could experience it back in the 1960s, where it seems like it was really first class. Stand up, have a cigarette, walk around. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, and, and it just is like, oh, you're going to be very nice to me, and I've got space and a very uncomfortable seat. Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's business class. That's really, you know, that's what it is now. Most airlines just have business class. You can get a, a first class. Like, one of my bucket list things is to fly first class overseas. I want to go to Ireland and England on a plane on Wales. first class. All of our friends in Wales, Father um, Adrian, it's time. It's time. Well, we're, maybe not right now. <laughs> Actually, can we talk about the perfect place where we where we should go to? Oh, uh, where's that, Luke? Oh, I want to give a major I'm gonna shout out to my new favorite place in the world, Latvia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Here's to all of our Latvian listeners. Holy crap. I love you people. The fatherland. We love it. I'm a God bless Latvia, our beloved fatherland. My gosh. So I get an email from you, and it says, this is wild. And we get the stat update from Potrack that said that we were number one in Christianity podcast out in Latvia and number two for religion and spirituality. <laughs> and what does the old Luke do when he should have been working? He went and saw the chartable stats, and he found out that on November the 10th, we were one of the top 100 podcasts in <laughs> Latvia. <laughs> they Latvia love Orthodox. us. <laughs> they love us. I am obsessed with this country. I am absolutely obsessed. Can I tell you about the history of, I've done some research, Latvia. Let's hear it. It's Okay, so it's fascinating. I'm going to get a couple of um, these things wrong. Okay. Very uh, temperate climate. It you know, doesn't get too hot, but it does get kind of cold in certain spots. So it kind of reminds me a bit of that old, um, it's not exactly like this, but you remember the line about Sokovia and Age of Ultron? Where they say it's not anywhere special, but it's on the it's it's on the way to everything special. Yeah. At first, that's what I thought it was going to kind of be because that's the vibe that I got. So they've got Russia to the east of them, and I believe they then have uh, there. I think they uh, like have like Lithuania to the south, and Estonia to the north, and they also have like Belarus to the southeast, and they share a sea border with um, Sweden. Uh, in the West. Now, here's what's really interesting about them. So they are an act, they're actually like Lutheran country, but they have this one area that is ex- about two thirds Roman Catholic, and this area actually is kind of Russian as as well. So it's I mean it's this 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 place is insane. They really are pagan until about the 1200s. Then they're conquered by a whole bunch of like Germanic people, and the Pope does a little bit extra conquering just to make sure that they really become Catholic. 
<laughs> and then they become a Lutheran country after that. And they aren't they they don't ever self-govern. So they're controlled by the Polish at one point in time. They've been controlled by like Russia multiple times, um, as well as the Germans and also the Swedish. <laughs> so I believe in the late um, 18th century, they get taken over by Russia, and then they kind of push back. But then the Russians go, oh, no, you don't. And they, and they maintain it, and this includes during the Bolshevik Revolution. And then, then the Germans invade. They take over. Then the Russians take, 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 take over, and they don't really become their own country till 1991, but they declared themselves as, as their like, own country in 1897 or, or 1921, I think, or something like that. I don't remember the exact year, but they never really um, got it until, uh, until um, 1991, but this place has, you know, 2,000 years of history. It's gorgeous. Yeah, Absolutely gorgeous. They actually have two languages there, and the other language, which was one of the few, uh, was one of the few on the remaining, um, like uh, it was one of the few like remaining languages of the indigenous people of Europe. That the last um, native speaker died in like two thousand and um, thirteen or something. Oh wow! If you can't tell, I've done a bit of research. You have, you have. Now, can, can I can I chime in with just my generalist knowledge? Not really a sure. Latvia, but the area. Number one, Latvia became famous in the United States of America in that wonderful episode of Seinfeld where George converted for the sake of a woman he was in love with, and she became he became Latvian Latvian Orthodox. Remember that episode? Uh, I, I, you know, I'm going to be honest. I okay. Really no, don't like don't break it, my heart. I, don't okay. break my heart and on, say you on, don't like on. Seinfeld. No, I no, I love oh. Seinfeld. Okay, but the best line I could hear George's mother. You remember George's mother? Yes, I think I do. Latvian Orthodox? Are they a cult? <laughs> They're very nice people. <laughs> They're very nice. So he becomes Latvian Orthodox for um, for the sake of a girl, and then she dumps him. Estelle's son? Latvian Orthodox? Why are you doing this? For a woman. A woman? What, are you out of your mind? Why can't you do anything like a normal person? Wait. Is this the group that goes around mutilating squirrels? <laughs> no, it's a regular religion. I'm calling my lawyer. It might not be too late to get out of this. I don't want to get out of it. But, George, you don't know what you're saying. You're under their control. What? They brainwashed you? No, no. You're not performing any rituals in this house? Go back to the psychiatrist, I beg you. And stay away from those squirrels. <laughs> Oh, gotcha. So you have Estonia, and then Latvia, and Lithuania, Belarus. Uh, all of these are countries that were a part of the Eastern Bloc. And this is something I didn't realize until I read um, the wonderful book by George uh, Weigel um, on the Pope, Pope John Paul II. And Witness to Hope. Yeah, Witness to Hope. Thank you. I literally totally blocked the name from it. Um, where he said the, most the problem, books of the, past the problem with us in America and in Europe is we think of Poland as the East because of the Iron Curtain. But we have to stop thinking that way when you think of the history of the Catholic Church in Europe. Poland is the center. Right, mm-hmm. it's the center, mm-hmm. not the center mm-hmm. of all of Christendom, right? But it's the center. Like it's, I mean, parts of Poland are further west of Vienna, 
right? And we don't think about that. When I think of Poland, I think of I think of Russia. I think of like, yeah. oh, it's way over there. But when you sit there and look at the map, it's like, no, you got you got what used to be Czechoslovakia, right? It's all north of that, south of Hungary and Austria and Germany and all this stuff. And when you begin to realize, like, for most of European history, Poland, uh, Poland and Hungary, the Ottoman em- or the um, uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, that was the very middle, Ooh. right? That was the very middle of Europe. And just today I was given the biography for our saint videos for St. Jerome, and he was born in Croatia, but during the time of the Roman Empire, which is, you know, you just think of it all as the Roman Empire, and it is fascinating how it was Saint Jerome. Sorry, I was, I just had to get that out there. Go on. I don't, I don't know what that is. What is what is Ghostbusters? Ghostbusters. Do you remember Fair when enough. she just passed out? Okay. Yeah, you never. I know. I'm a failure. Loser. But uh, <laughs> but anywho, I just bring that up because like Latvia is one of those nations that because of the Iron Curtain, we don't really we just think of it as the USSR. We don't really understand how these things like Belarus and Lithuania and Estonia, how they you know like how they thrived and have their own beautiful culture that goes back you know like it became christian in the 1300s or 1200s um but the first christian church was built in like 1048 there and like they have a history a thousand years old and we don't even know them you know in our very hyper americanism so i really that's that is one reason why i'm so thrilled that they are in love with us (laughs) because uh i have i have like done a i'm fascinated by this place like they um, you know, when you think of when you think of the Holocaust, you tend to th- think of like people who were killed out, um, out like Germany, out in France, more um, Central Europe. You don't think of like these parts where they went in, and like I think there, I think they set up to seventy thousand Jews were killed out in Latvia, and you actually had um people there who fought. This is the thing that I really didn't understand until we got to Europe was how much of it is actually overlaps. Like really, when you um, when you take a look at the cultures of Europe here in America, it's pretty split by state lines. You you know, going to Kentucky, you cross the, you cross the, the Roebling Bridge. It's not that hard to then find a Southern accent. Yeah, you know, and but then you go um, back into Ohio, you just have you know, you don't really have you don't um, you don't have a Southern accent. You have a West Side accent that is just the same as the Yinzer accent, and then you have occasional more like hickish accents depending upon where you are. But you don't have any um, Southern accents. But you get not too deep into not too deep into Kentucky, and you've got um, like distinct accents and stuff, and a more distinct culture. And you do have that in Europe as well. But I think what really surprised me that I just never um, thought of was it's almost um, like a Venn diagram yeah. where you have you have like a Germanic like like slash like French place, and you have like all these like there's a lot of you know overlap and people they've been part of like seven different countries at one point in time so you had people in there are actually people in parts of the eastern part of um, latvia i believe which is one of the parts that is catholic that's the um i don't i don't know how to pronounce this but um lat i think it's like the latgalians or something um they consider themselves to be more russian and there are people that during the Second World War fought on the side of the Russians, yet people in the same country that fought on, on the side of the Germans. Hmm. Really interesting. And yeah. I'm telling like, like do, do like a Google image search. Absolutely gorgeous. Stunning. 
Stunning. Absolutely gorgeous. Like, on, I am enthralled with Latvia. Wonderful um, national anthem. God bless um, Latvia, our beloved fatherland. I remember, I, I did memorize the first two lines. You're welcome. <laughs> Just, I don't know. And that, so whoever is listening out there, let us know. Spread, like, spread the word. We want to, like, we love, uh, we want to love you just as much as you love us. <laughs> I want this episode to be our love letter to, you know. Our love letter to Latvia. Let's be more than friends. Why, you know, YRN, please, I'm a circle one. <laughs> YRN. Will you be my girlfriend, Y or N? Maybe, oh, you Latvians. (laughs) Just so, like, I'm just so enthralled by this place. (laughs) Uh, 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 Latvia, interesting. So thank you, Latvians, our brothers and sisters in Latvia. Uh And they're um, high-income earners there. So to all of our Latvian um, listeners, patreon.com slash um, slash um, CF. Again, that is patreon.com slash CF. Thank you to all of our Latvian listeners. Now, let's not be remiss to mention the other runners up. In Ecuador, we're in position two in the category of Christianity, position four in the category of religion and spirituality. Thank you, Ecuadorians. We appreciate oh, you. Ole. And, oh, wow. I don't know and, that much about it. <laughs> and speaking of the Austro Hungarian Empire. I know. Hungary, we're position Hungary. 10 in Christianity in Hungary. So, hungry, hungry, yeah. And funniest thing about it, I'm about to have a conversation with a Hungarian Reformed Church Protestant who wants to become Catholic. See? See? It's all, it's catching foxes takes over continental Europe. We've already <laughs> we've already conquered the U, the UK. Now it's time to move east. Let's do this people. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. All right, Luke, we got another great thing that I think we need to tell the good people about. It's enormous blessings in the catching foxes universe. We blessings have upon blessings. Blessings upon Praise we, him. We spread fecundity. And we are pouring our fecundity into the lives of a couple who Father, let it blow. <laughs> who are gonna get married. And they kind of participated. They're an outlier, but I think a worthy one. They participated yeah. in the grand uh, Catching Foxes Made Me Do It experiment with uh, our friends over at Catholic Match. Woo! So, and we, now, she, now the bride does, to have, does have to have her mom approve it because she's paying for it. And it's going to be a fancy wedding. So, mom, hey, how you doing? You look good. Uh, so, like, y- you look amazing. Mom, I, I just got up to say. Yeah, like, really, really. Like, I, I literally thought you were her sister at first. I didn't like, know. Yeah, wow, wow. I mean, awesome. I, uh, we, we would be happy to emcee your wedding as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's, there's, this there's wonderful a story I want to tell, but I, I can't. <laughs> uh, do you know what you I think I do, Luke. I think <laughs> it's I so do. funny. No, deep breaths. Deep breaths. Walk away. Walk away. <laughs> So Anywho, funny. let me just share the little story. So this couple sort of did, they did the catching foxes, made you do it, but they didn't have a love match, a love connection. But then afterwards, after the promotion ended that we did last year with Catholic Match, uh, we said in that promotion, if a catching foxes couple met because of the catching foxes made me do it hashtag in their profiles, 
then we would MC their reception for free. We would fly out. We would do it. But we would also volunteer, but you could say no. We would also MC your honeymoon night. I don't think anyone's going to take us up on that, but it's still on the table. We How- will do a podcast play-by-play. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they got back, or they, they sent a message to Luke, uh, probably via Twitter or something, and said, hey, our first like two dates, all we talked about were uh, a substantial portion of what they talked about was catching foxes. And we're like, you know what? That freaking qualifies. We will be close enough. Happy, close enough. So we are going to MC if mother, if the, if, if the mother of the bride, if she lets us. You know you want to have a good time. I promise you, mom. You will never not have a drink in your hand if I'm at that reception. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Whether you want to or not, Luke's there. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to put a drink in oh, your hand. Oh, that sounds horrible. Now I in know. hindsight. I know. Ooh, yeah. Thanks, Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we met at all. No, no, no. Crap. Ignore what we just said, Mom. You're, you're wonderful. <laughs> you're very matriarchal. We affirm you. But they're going to have the reception at a distillery, at a yeah, whiskey which, or bourbon distillery. Yeah, in, out in, in Kentucky. So, whoo. you know. We're going to get an Airbnb. It's on my wife's birthday. I already conned her into accepting this as, like, (laughs) drop the kids off in St. Louis, drive there. Okay. All right. Hey, listen. You know what? Chicken butt. I can't wait. I can't wait. I already got my wife said yes. She said yes. She's like, oh, great. We can drop our kids off with my parents. I was like, yes. Yes. And I said, honey, it's not me giving talks. I'm emceeing. A, a, a wedding reception. Like, you can go get a massage. If they let you come to the wedding, we can dance and have fun. And she goes, how long do we have to be with Luke? And I was like, we can <laughs> at least two days. At least two days. <laughs> My wife like, oh, is very good. adamant. She is very adamant. When we have our annual sexy staycation or pay, uh, you know, whatever vacation, we have to just be alone. And yet, it still never happens. I thought you were going to say you have to be around me. We have to be around Luke. It's, it's in my contract. <laughs> oh, she doesn't want to see me. No, she doesn't want to do anything other than this guy. <laughs> uh, she's awesome. That sounded weird and uh, now that I think about it, the way that you put that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. In the 12th, uh, in the 12th almost century, in the territory of Latvia, there were 14 lands with each having a distinct ruler. Yeah, I, right now I have a Wikipedia of the <laughs> Livonian Brothers of the Sword who helped Christianize Latvia, and it's a military order. I'm like, this is so fascinating. These guys, insane. The Livonian Brothers had a rule from the Knights Templars to be of noble birth, take vows of obedience, poverty, and celibacy. Soldiers, artisans, and clerics were all members. This is Man. awesome. Chris and Dumb, we miss you. Do we, though? No, I'm just kidding. Um... crazy all right well Luke, all right how you doing man so we got we got we're I'm big good. in latvia we're okay in ecuador no we're big in latvia we're good in ecuador we're okay in hungary mediocre everywhere else we're we're gonna go to a bourbon distillery in kentucky and we're gonna celebrate the union of a bride and groom who love catching foxes in 2021 what's going on with you right now so I've been working on a pretty big, big project at work, and sometimes while I do work, when I'm really in the zone, I like to have stuff on in, in the background. So I listened to episode 186 of ours, which is when I uh, my the, my last episode when I was working in ministry over the Archdiocese of Cincinnati. Huh. Okay, and it was kind of it was kind of cool to hear that in hindsight. 
And uh, you brought up on there a really good quote from St. Augustine, I think, about how, like, we make the times. The times don't make us, but we make them. Or, yeah. so, or I think it was, it was – I don't remember – and I don't remember exactly how it went. And it just really hit me about, you know, everything that's going – like, yes, this is very, very hard. And a lot of us didn't choose what's going on right now. But – we still have a choice for how we can respond to this. And I know this sounds so Pelagian, but it really is true that we can either just complain and moan about this, which I have done plenty of, and it's and it's okay to to do that, or we can also continually try to pick up our cross. And it's gonna be very tempting to blame like we're going like it's in our it's in our broken um, human um nature to find a scapegoat, to find a thing to kind of take our sins and cast our, all of our yeah. all of our suffering on onto. We do it all 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 of the time. I think we're doing it right now with the McCarrick report, which it has its own um, set of issues. But like, I think people are like ready to attack the bishops. Yeah, right, right now. And I felt. Did you see the tweet that the one whoever runs no. their um, social? So this was. This was so. I just. I mean, listen. We all make. We all make mistakes. And I honestly felt bad for the person who did this. And this could have been a tweet that they had like pre. They could. They. This is a tweet they could have pre-scheduled out a long time ago. But um, they had a tweet. So you know how the bishops are having like one of their um conferences right now. So they had a tweet the other day that said, "Who's excited for all of the baby Yoda gifs during the upcoming um bishops conference?" And this is like. Maybe five days after the McCarrick report came out, and everyone just said, "Like, are you joking? Not at all." (laughs) And I, and I just felt bad for the for the guy or gal because they weren't, you know, they're just trying to run their social media account. They and they kind of were a hit the last time. Like, whoever they hired did a great job at the previous conference of really running like an actual um, social media account, and it was really cool to see. And uh, I just think people just, like, pounce on this person. I was like, guys, we can, like, it's a mistake. You know, like, have you heard about the whole Pope Francis thing? No. So this is great. So uh, Pope Francis' Instagram account basically liked a soft porn picture on from Barstool. What is Barstool? Barstool is, like, a sports uh, culture blog podcast website. Was it a woman's butt? Yes. It's always women's butts on Instagram. And, uh, was it an um, Instagram account or Twitter? Instagram. <laughs> the Pope has an Instagram account. Yeah, it was just, I mean, it's definitely the Pope's account who liked it. And Barshall was like, say what? And it really, um, you know, in any, like, any other time or age, this would be a scandal. And it still is, it still is a scandal, but... Part of me is like, listen, whoever runs that account, because it's definitely not the Pope, or perhaps it was. I really doubt it. <laughs> but um, they. Can you imagine you know, Pope Francis on an iPhone just scrolling, scrolling aimlessly on like, Instagram at two like, o'clock in the morning? Has a like has like a glazed over look. And he's just like, oh, I'm so tired. Ugh. I don't. I don't want to think. You know. You know what, Father Giuseppe? I just don't want to think. I don't want to think anymore. I'm just on Instagram. I don't even know what I'm looking at. You know what? This is funny. I love these guys. These barstool. They're making provocative comedy like, about sports. They're crude, but it's like real stuff that guys joke about, right? They're crude, but they're honest. Am I right? They're crude, Saturdays but they're honest. Are for, are, are for the boys. <laughs> That's like they're saying it or something like that. So, and I, I just was like, you know, this is not good at all. This is horrible. Oh, but dear. it just, 
like what a world that we live in right now. You know, what a, I don't I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, I, uh, obviously, it's someone managing his account who didn't yeah. switch to their own account on the account, their, yeah. you know, tweet deck platform that they used to manage. And that could, you know, it could have been a priest. It could have it's probably someone who works for some type of um, social media agency or the Vatican press office. Yeah, and it uh, them you know, bitches it just... are shady. <laughs> they are <laughs> shady as hell. Oh, oh it just uh, yeah. What? Not been a good week for Catholicism. <laughs> Not been a good week. If we could have like, you know, what's really sad? Hmm. Do you want to know what the best week for <laughs> Roman Catholicism has been in the past couple years? Uh. When we were the theme of the Met Gala. <laughs> like, that's the highlight. My favorite thing is we were the theme of the Met Gala, and I was like, oh, wow, Catholic imagination. That's cool. Oh, my God. Why would they do this? There's going to be so much. And there it is. And I'm like, all oh, these women in diamond bishop miters and pantsless. Okay. 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 Both of them still accurate. Uh, and then you have, and then you have all this. Stuff. I'll never cleavage. forget. You get, I'm Catholic cleavage, and you get Catholic <laughs> cleavage. Everybody gets Catholic cleavage. <laughs> you are so broken. So, what about this article you made me read? Um, can okay. So, I would like to wait and t- oh. t- to talk about that. Here's here's why. I have a proposition for you and for all of the kids. Uh, okay. So last week we talked about the Great Gatsby. Yes, and it was good. We had a lot of great responses. Yes. Uh, from that episode. Next week, I'd like to talk about a canticle for Leibowitz. Oh, my gosh. What a great. And I think that and that article, uh, they, okay. they coincide. They, I like they it. kind of coincide. So, I like yeah. it. So, er, so everyone will put the article in the show notes. If you have a chance to read The Great Gatsby, it's actually pretty short. So, I, th- yeah. I mean, I think the bulk of our listeners could probably do that in about a week. So, if you read that and then read this article, uh, I think you'll find it very interesting. You say so. The Great Gatsby or The Canticle? I meant the, I meant a canticle for – I apologize. Leibowitz. Do you want me to start over again or just we'll just put it in there? No, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. Uh, so, read a canticle for Leibowitz and then read that article. And we'll t- talk about it on the show next. And I, I mean, you don't have to in, in order to get where we're going to be talking about. But I think it's gonna be very interesting. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. I just told ready to take down you, Thomas. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so funny because the whole canticle for Leibowitz is straight Thomism. Um, mm. Yeah, it is. It's straight mm. Thomism. Oh my gosh, mm. I can't wait to talk about it. But anywho. Um, the uh, it's called the Albertus Magnus Order. He was Thomas's teacher. Anyway, mm. yeah, Luke read an article um. <laughs> and a podcast. I listened to a podcast about it. What podcast? <laughs> I listened to the national uh, the National Reviews did like a, they they have a podcast on the great books and they talked about a Canticle for Leibowitz. And it was Man, really interesting. It is so hard to not want to talk about it right now wow yeah no i just and and it's funny because i was just texting fan of the show joey muckenthaler who lives muckenthaler lives uh right behind me and hey he uh, looks great by the way oh yeah he's lost a whole bunch of weight all crossfit all the time all crossfit all the time um and just standing on your feet for hours at a bar every day oh i miss bars (laughs) come to texas um but he uh i told him i said uh he asked me what would be my book recommendation. He asked me some book that I had, and I said, no, it's on Audible. Oh, it was Bowling, uh, Bowling Alone, that Harvard sociologist book. 
And I said, no, I only have that on Audible um, and Kindle. He said, okay, well, what, what's a book recommendation? I said, After Virtue. If you haven't read it, everyone needs to read oh, After Virtue. I've got a story about that. I have a story about Alistair McIntyre that, you, that you're going to love. Okay. And then he said, uh, and then I was like, wait, what am I saying? Your next book needs to be Canticle for Leibowitz. Have you read that? He goes, I've never even heard of it. And I say, okay, that's my Christmas present to you. So I think right now while we talk, I'm going to buy the book right now for Joey, and you tell me about your funny Alice Dare McIntyre story. So did I say Allison? Yes. Alice Dare? I, yeah, whatever. Who cares? Um, so one of my former coworkers, she is a recent grad of Notre Dame. And she had a chance to take a class with with him, and she was. I think she was like, "Oh, that'd be too hard." Not not too hard, but just didn't really fancy her interest. So she took some other class that just was like not even remotely as interesting as it would have been with with him. And I told her like, if um, if my co host had heard you just tell me what you just did, he would have lost his mind. Yes. Yes. I would have like, lost. It was my like mind. an Eastern religions, or like some pop, like some like like some like it, it wasn't. It, it it didn't sound like it was a easy class. It just uh, wasn't with the guy who wrote After Virtue. Good you know, Lord. Like, oh my gosh! I was like, I would lose yeah, you got to pass up to take a class with one of the most brilliant minds in the church right now. But yeah, <laughs> it's cool. He's one of those guys that has schools of thought under him from his writing like yeah just yeah Ugh. i got a good laugh at it <laughs> i love how angry you are i'm not angry i'm not angry i'm just confused and a little I hurt knew it. i knew it well here's the thing it's just that some people just don't prioritize the, the things that you do and that's okay i know what the hell's wrong with people uh all right are we ready to talk about the mccarrick report because we have some we have some questions that we, that we have to answer yeah. about it yeah i think we're ready i think we're right. ready the, the Summer, Summer of, of Scandal. 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 All right, so I want um, to preface this with um, with, with something. Do you do you care if I, I, no, if go, I do go. that? I feel go. like I've been dominating the, this podcast. I want you I to dominate me. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so... I mean, we were gonna have uh, we were gonna have our good bud JD uh, J JD on here, uh, and um, he was you know, and I I, I kind of made a joke in passing of like you know um, I I'm really glad that you're gonna be doing this because then because then we can like I'll make our hot takes off of it, <laughs> and he and he goes yeah you don't want to do any hot takes on this this is time for I'm a sober reflection yeah and he he, he was right and. So we're not going to give – I don't want to give our hot takes. I want to kind of give our pers- – or I don't want to even go through and say what's in the report. I want to s- kind of give a perspective of a, you know, lay of a lay person. So if you want to get a real in- in-depth analysis yeah. of the report, I highly – and I'll, I'll uh, put this in the show notes. I highly encourage you to check out the Catholic the Catholic News a- um, Agency's I think it's like the editor's desk or something. It's very, very, very good, mm-hmm. and it's a brilliant analysis on the report. So, um, and we need like this is not going to go away, nor do I want it to. I think this is a thing that we need to wrestle with for a while 
until perhaps it's time that you know we all say okay now we can uh, uh, now we can move on because this is um this is the thing that will do like this uh, this is the thing that the uh, that the Catholic stuff guys brought up way back when the Pennsylvania report came out they said like like this is going to be the thing that will define our period of yeah. Catholicism and they were a th- and they were and are a thousand percent right about that yeah and so th- it is our um, terrible privilege, if you will, to have to wrestle with this. And the majority of us didn't cause any of this to happen. We didn't ask for this. We sure as hell didn't want this. But it is ours to deal with and ours to pursue and ours to reckon with. So let's do it. Yep. All right. Scandal. Jeff asked, um, is it okay to just not read the report and pray for the victims and the church? Yeah, I mean, it's okay to do it. Like, I, I, I think it. I think people at various levels of the church need to shove this in their face and not run from it. I, I don't think everyone in the church needs to read this. But um, you, you should understand, like, at the heart, like, what happened and why it was able to happen. Yeah, I um, if I was, I, I think everyone who works for a parish, or f- especially anyone who works for a diocese, should read this. It's about, f- I mean, it, it is four hundred pages. Um, I haven't seen the actual report itself, but I, I think it's good for the average involved on the Catholic to read about the report from anyone that you want. There's tons of different takes on it, and uh, I've read a, a decent amount of them. And I, I think it's good to be informed, but I don't think you need to be heavily um, – we should all be praying for it and all and all of the victims. But I I don't think your average layperson who's not working in, in ministry, they don't need to be an expert on it, but they do need to be aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think that awareness – but holy crap, like I didn't read it. I don't feel bad that I didn't read it um, because I I read a couple um, well-thought-out pieces on it, a couple different places, and after Luke shamed me for not being prepared, and I, I, th- I think I've done enough. I don't, I don't want to read the damn thing. Ugh, no, yeah, heart. no, and, and I, I don't think, yeah, like, and, and there's also, I would also add, like, how much can you actually take, and is it really prudent for you to read this report? You know, I... For me, I have a lot of stuff going on right now that I'll be going into, not now, but at some point in time down the road. All good stuff, but I just don't I, – I quite I literally do not have time to then read a 400-page report. If I was working at a diocese, I would clear out – I would clear out my calendar, and I would spend the whole day doing that. And I would talk about um, nothing but that with people at, at the diocese because that's the type of stuff that you need to be aware of, I think. Scandal. This is from Mark. Where do we go from here as a church? We keep being told to pray and to do and to do penance, but what practical steps can we take take to heal to help heal and correct the course of both the church in in the U.S. and the world? Yeah, that's a great question. What that's practically good, can good we do on top of praying, assuming the prayers? What practical thing can we do? And this is part of my frustration that I shared. With the Father Harris and Father Anthony, clerically speaking, episode is because, like, the bishops who are good bishops and the priests who are good priests are saying, hold us accountable, make sure we're transparent, put our feet to the fire. 
And I kept saying, but I don't know how to do that in terms of the diocesan way of doing things. So this is where I constantly run into walls. What, what, what do you think, Luke? My thoughtful friend. My, <laughs> I just thought of a line from The Godfather. Uh, my, <laughs> my most um, trusted friend. My most trusted uh, friend. Trusted friend. There's a fine line between um, screaming and wanting to be heard, fraternal correction, then also just wanting to be seen screaming and yelling. I think the latter is wrong. So it should always come from a place of um, prudence and a place and a place of humility. So a great prayer that we should all be praying probably a lot more is the litany of the litany of like humility. Um, but then I think also praying for the courage to say like you know if you you know it's 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 tough like there are priests that I would feel very okay calling out in this archdiocese if I saw them doing things I would feel very okay doing that and I hope that they would feel okay doing that with me as as well what do you mean by calling uh, out what does that look like you know um I think okay so one common thing that I think sometimes always makes me a little bit uneasy is um certain preach are just around girls a lot <laughs> like a lot and Looking at you, Hansers von Balthazar and Adrian von <laughs> Speyer. <laughs> I was literally just joking about that with a group of people. <laughs> it is a little weird. <laughs> it, it is a little weird, but also uh, I found out today doing that St. Jerome video, St. Jerome had a Roman woman named Paula who f- who founded her, and she's a saint, she founded like eight monasteries throughout the Holy Land for men and women and all this stuff, and it was all because of his... Influence, so there, there's a lot of well, awesome stuff going on. <laughs> oh my, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not saying that priests and women can't be can't be friends. I'm not saying that at all. I, in fact, I think it's a real, it's a good and very important thing to have yeah. like healthy friendships with people of the opposite sex. I think that's, I think it's very good and very important. I, but like, you kind of know when it gets weird. It's a little bit like it's a little bit like pornography. Hard to define, but I know it when I see it. And um, I I think being able to say, hey, like you need to like check, th- you need to be careful about this because this, you know, um, this looks weird, yeah, and this seems a little bit weird. And more often than not, when there's smoke, there is there is fire. And so, um, I I also think that uh, I don't think everyone has to do this either, but I think there needs to be like can't. If you're in a place where you can, you should have the courage to to do so. Yeah. And, um, you know, so as part of like a parish, as someone who's on parish council, I if I saw my pastor doing a thing that I had a really hard time with, I have, and especially with a person, a person with my background, I have responsibility to bring to bring that up. Yeah. And I... So I, I think I, I would a, I'm approach this from the same place that I would approach this with a layperson, a friend, basically, is have I earned the right to be able to do this? There are yeah. some priests where I could say, absolutely. There are, are there other priests where I think I probably haven't. Um, but, the, you know, um, and I would kind of be willing to go the same thing with them. You know, if they don't know me 
and they don't really whatever. Like, I mean, I don't see how this would really happen, but you know, if my pastor wanted to call me out on a thing, that would be different than some random priest. Um, if I was at an event that thought I was being dumb or something, that sounds that's a very stupid analogy. That's not even an analogy example, you know. But like, like there are certain people who think like you know, um, Catholicism shouldn't be so rambunctious when we're doing stuff. I mean, it's, you know, so kind of out there. Like, okay, so let me put it put it this way. When we were at Seek, the people who tend to groan the most at any of our, any of the McCarrick stickers that we had were all seminarians. Yeah. And if anyone complained, if they ever complained about it to me, I'd just be like, whatever, dude. I don't really care about what you think, especially you're in seminary. I do not care. And if it was a priest that I didn't know, I'd be like, okay, like, you don't know us. You don't really know um, what this is about. But if I had Father Ethan Moore or a priest that, like, I know very well come up and go, hey, this might not be a good idea, actually, I would take that to heart. Because he knows me. He knows my intention. He knows where I'm coming from. He knows, you know. And it, so I, I, th- I think that's kind of a two-way street there. Sometimes the bad part is, like, you feel like, you know, you might be giving up that priestly and, like, like pastor and sheep relationship. And that's tough. That is definitely yeah. tough. I mean, I don't have anything to add. I think I think I, I am so lost with all this stuff as a layperson. Like, I don't want it to be my job to police the clergy. I'm not going to lie. I don't. That does not sound appealing to me. It does to me. <laughs> um, no, it it really does. It really. I I think only because I um have now had to deal with so many priests, and I'm just aware of um, yeah. their of like their humanity and ways that I never thought I ever would. I I I I just like here's a deal, everyone. This is this is the heart. Like they're not that different <laughs> at all. They're they're not. They're magic. really not at yeah. all. Yeah, like they're they're they are normal um, human beings, and like who have like, um, you know, in certain regards, like they don't, and this is probably a good thing. They don't have some of the freedom, you know. They like like there needs to be a lot of understanding on both parts. This isn't as common anymore. This was a thing definitely with older priests who thought that lay people, you know, you hear stories of priests who are like. We might complain about how much people get paid, and then they're kind of shocked at how much it costs to get your car fixed or something. Well, it's like, or how much, or how much like your average house, like family, uh, you know, costs for them to go to the grocery store. And it's like, well, yeah, you have everything done for you. You don't, ha- you don't have a frame of reference for, for any of this. And but that's also because they're supposed to have a life where they're at the service of everyone, and they don't have time to like at times even fold their own laundry. I do think priests need to hang out with more of lay people and vice versa, but there is a trade-off with that as well because I will not go to confession with uh, one of my friends unless it's a dire emergency, which you know hasn't happened. I I just I it's too weird. I will not do it. Be willing to like I think we have to be willing to to kind of um navigate that where it's like you know I need to have some priests that are just my. Oh, confession priests, and then some priests who are who are my friend priest, and some priests who are my coworkers, and you know, or like I won't, you know, I won't ever go to confession with um, a priest that I work with or anything like that. But I will um, work with a priest that is a friend. Yeah, yeah. I think now we have this. this is the, the, the one other thing that I, 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 I will add. 
I think we need to start to think and talk about these these things more 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 than we do, and actively make those trade offs. Yeah, you know, I, I like I am very much okay if I see that my parish priest needs needs a friend. I'm okay not having him be my confessor. Yeah, because you know that you're doing something that he desperately needs. Yeah, and I and I and I'm also like very like I know, how, but I know how to navigate that though. You know, I've 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 already learned how to do. That. That's why, I, like, when I first got to the archdiocese, we went. We didn't even go to mass in the archdiocese one because we didn't. We lived right outside of the, of it. But two, I just was like, hey, we kind of need a little bit of space. I think. Yeah. So um, for me, anyways. Scandal. How do we correct the course though? I can see that's like in our own lives, but like for the church as a whole, how do we do that? My my first thought on this is we can't entirely. So mm-hmm. you you mm-hmm. can't enact a number of policies that remove sin, right? You 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 can't give yeah. people yeah. enough. And th- this is, I think is the like the secular progressive mistake is they think that if they give people enough stuff, everything will be utopian. Or if they come up with the right laws, it'll be better, surely. It's like what I learned from inmates. I mean, this lesson more than any other. When people erect new rules, you find your ways around them using new methods. When mm-hmm. you're fighting against sin. <laughs> new tools, a new ardor. <laughs> it's like the new evangelization, but with sin. Um, but it's very real. Like what I mean by this is, yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Can, you can't. This is the whole point of the Mosaic Law versus the New Testament grace. You can't legislate away the 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 innate tendency of man to prefer himself over and against God. That is Saint Augustine's classic insight in the City of God. There are two cities: the City of God, wherein man. Um, uh, loves God even to the contempt of self and the city of man where man loves self even to the contempt of God. And those cities are inside of both of us, or they're both inside all of us is what I meant to say. Uh, Sorry, natural light, hard seltzer. You are getting to me. Um, (laughs) But but I mean, that's the reality. You can't entirely. So, okay. So knowing that we can't get it away, what are steps that we can take in a very, very positive direction? Well, Number one, I think, and I don't know what you think about this, Luke, but I think this is the core of what I'm seeing. And I want you to tell me I'm wrong because it sucks if I'm right. We have to figure out a way for priests to trust their bishops again and to have a strong friendship with their bishops. Because from everything that I've heard, after the charter came out, in 2000 and whatever, one or three or whatever, the Charter for the Protection of Young People, the thing that was the concept... That McCarrick was in charge of? Yes. The thing that I heard over and over again was the bishops sold out the priests. But but the big thing was so many priests felt betrayed with the Charter uh, for their bishops because essentially it's like you're accused, you're stripped of everything right now, and you're basically guilty till you're proven innocent. That's not what the charter says, but that what that's what mm-hmm. a lot of priests mm-hmm. feel. So mm-hmm. I I look at the, an archdiocese like the archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, which is so huge. Uh, you know, 1.75 million Catholics spread out over 
just an insane area. I think of the Diocese of Denver, which is insanely huge. The, to have the bishop be able to be responsible, you know, I go back to the fact that Italy has like 250 dioceses and the United States of America has like, what what was it, like 150 or 110 or something like no, that? No, it's, it's like 400 or something. America has 400? I think. I, I, um, but anywho, I, I say this by way no, of no, saying. Oh, oh, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm saying like here in the United States, we have like. Sorry, I, I may have misheard you. There's 196 particular churches, dioceses, in the U.S. 196. There's like 250 in Italy. Right oh, now. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Italy sorry, sorry. has a population of like 4 million. We have 300 million, right? So you begin to look at that and you begin to realize like we're setting our bishops up for failure because they can't know their clergy. Yeah, they we have entire states that are just like like the state of Idaho is one whole diocese. Yeah, it is. And so that that's one of the things. It's like we really have to work on improving. Yeah, 225 dioceses in Italy. There is a deeply a deeply felt gulf between bishop and priest. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I think that's one of the bigger areas because they we need to rebuild that. Yeah. And if it's at the expense of something like a United Bishops on the conference, I'm I'm very much okay with that. Yeah. And there's sixty million people in Italy. Sixty and three hundred and like fifty in the US. Three hundred and thirty, yeah. Yeah, yeah I Two other things that I want to add here really quick. There's a line that J.D. had in just one of his editorials on the report where he said, where he said a statement of regret from the U.S. Bishops Conference is unlikely to spark a renewal of faith in um, Jesus Christ. I think a lot of the bishops would agree with that, but I think the Bishops' Conference might take a little I, I think there's this thing where it's where the people tend to think everything that we do is going to produce up something good. And I one of the most gut wrenching things I ever heard in my ministry in my time at the diocese was when people told me, I just want you to understand that like we view the diocese the way you view the bishops conference. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> and um a complete a waste of time and resources and space and like utterly like pointless and perhaps destructive. Ah. Um, I don't think that's actually true, but, but it, you know, there is this like amongst people like myself, there's almost a borderline resentment towards the bishops on conference that I, you know, now I have to, I don't really think about it that much anymore to be honest with you. But at the time was like really hard to deal with. And I think what really struck me about that, about that um, line was one, how absolutely true it was both in its, practicality and in the reality of the situation which is that i don't take the bishop's call to conversion all that seriously yeah which is probably a problem on my part like the the only thing i like this is really a watergate moment for the laity and the bishops which is ultimately a that is a travesty because that hurts the church very very we're supposed Mm. to submit to these guys and it's a travesty that our trust has been so broken. And, like, you – I mean, we still, post-Watergate, have issues of trust in the office of the president. Like, we assume they're kind of corrupt now, whereas before that wasn't always the case. Yeah. A lot of our bishops now are put in a point where it's like, well, I don't really believe – I don't believe that you really care about the Lord or his church, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. 
I've seen that. I've I have seen um, bishops who really do art. Like I know that Archbishop Schnur absolutely does. At one hundred percent, I know he loves the Lord and he deeply cares about about the church. But it's funny too because uh, I'm I'm getting a little bit specific here, but. I'm also going to be kind of vague. I've heard of it and have seen priests do things that I think they think they're being unfaithful to him and what he wants. And I'm like, I, I know him kind of well. I, he's, I think you're kind of wrong here. Like, it's, yeah. like he's okay with some of the stuff that you really don't like. And um, things like praise and worship, but other things like he likes that stuff. I think he, I don't know if it's necessarily his spirituality or anything, but I know he's very much okay with like high school kids singing praise and worship songs at mass. Very much okay with it. Yeah. And uh, at, at least I, he has never said anything. He, he never said anything to me that made it imply that he was not. And he came to all the event. He came to every event where we had some, that stuff. Come, I mean, he led adoration during an event that was all praise and you know. So I'm like, I don't think he's against this stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I wish more. Okay, here, here is here is another thing that I will say. One of the greatest moments in my, like in my um in my ministry ever was when um I was doing an event up in Dayton, and we had a hundred kids out of like a hundred and twenty kids who were there get up to go to confession, and we had like one or two priests who were not able to make it. And then we had this other priest who just spent the entire time in in confession with one person. Yeah. And so we had like three priests, three or four priests to basically hear 100 confessions. And I remember being like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, I mean, like so happy because it was so incredibly moving. Like you heard like a, like a couple of the adults actually audibly gasped when they uh, gasped when they saw that many kids get up. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. And I remember just being like, oh, no, what do we do? Oh, no, how do we handle this? And he asked me if he could hear confessions. Yeah. And so we did everything we could to, like, find him a spot where he could do it. And I've never seen a bishop do that before Yeah. or since. And he's, like, not only did he hear, hear confessions, he did it because he saw that there was a need. And he went and, like, I was just like, that's. More of that, please. So the more opportunities I think we can allow our bishops to really engage in the sacraments, the, the better, besides Mass, um, I think that is good. And this is the other thing that I will add to this. Um, I am so desperately in need of Jesus Christ, and so are the bishops, and so are all of us right now. We live in a world where it is insanely hard to be Catholic. And we all need to acknowledge that, and we need to talk about it in the context of conversion and the call to conversion. Not just in our—actually, we talk about it a lot. We need to start gearing everything we do around that fact. Everything. That includes all of the social justice work that we do, all the work we do for the poor. Everything we need to do, it has to be in in light of a deepening our um, relationship with God. Because, um, listen, either we, either we become holy or the Lord's going to destroy all of this. I firmly believe that. Like, there has to be this level of... Of accountability to the gospel, like we're 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 leaving people shortchanged because we're afraid, and so we deny them an opportunity for honest transformation. Scandal.
Um, okay, so this, I'm going to kind of combine a couple of comments and questions here. This is this is the one that weighs really heavily, especially on my heart in the, the beginning uh, when I first I was reading about it. Let's talk about uh, Saint uh, Pope Saint John Paul II and um, his role in all this, according to the report. Um, so, those of you who were uh, who have not read the report or, or anything about it, uh, please stop listening and go and do it, and then come back. <laughs> no, um, yeah. read something. Basically, yeah. Basically, in, in, in a nutshell, some people told told John Paul II, and he um, he dismissed it. Um, one thing in the, uh, the some people told John Paul II about McCarrick. Um, one of the reasons why John Paul II decided to not believe this was he and this is true we we need to understand this um i'm not saying it's it's i don't think this is an excuse or anything but it just is the reality of the situation you know john paul ii came of age in like you know the nazis took over his country he went to seminary and the you know like by candlelight hidden because because of the nazis and then he was in a country that was basically occupied by Russia. No, it was occupied. And that uh, it was, you know, they were trying to crush the Catholic Church at that point in time. And so he were seeing accusations of horrible things um, that were, he saw a lot of horrible things that were leveled against priests and other church leaders. And he was predisposed to dismiss rumors or um you know kind of outright accusations based upon a based upon a person's word the hard part is that well these people who told him these things sounds like they were right and that he dismissed it and he let it happen and this has been kind of a common theme in his papacy no not kind of absolutely this you know he father of Marcel of who started the legionnaires of Christ, John Paul II, was very much okay with him, and and he dismissed any sort of accusations about him. And it wasn't until John Paul II died, and then Pope, uh, and then Pope um, Benedict became Pope, that actually um, a Father Marcial was condemned to a um, life of penance. I think it was even one of the first acts that Benedict did. And so you kind of see this pattern, um, uh, this pattern now of John Paul II um, under his watch. Priests being able to get away with these things. You have bishops or you have huge leaders in, in, in the church being able to get away with abuse uh, because of his decisions or his decision or his decisions to not do anything. And so how do we reckon with that, with the with the pope and a, and a, and a, and a saint who I would I would argue is probably one of the most important um, uh, one of the most important like um, uh, figures in the church in my lifetime for sure and in my own life i i yeah. am struggling with this very 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 much i am struggling with it a lot less after reading a couple summaries of where they in particular analyze jp2 i'm not struggling with this as much as i thought i would be as i was with father Maciel of the legionnaires and regnum christi mm-hmm. and i'll tell you why mm-hmm. Because uh, this is going to sound stupid, but it's it's by way of an analogy, and as we all know, an analogy is a similarity surrounded by an utter difference. I am running three or four different departments that used to have Mm -hmm. their own people running it. He has employees. 
I have employees, as you well know, and I'll remind you all. And I just popped in with one of my employees today, and I was talking, and she said, I got a list of questions to ask you. And about once a week, I sit down with this individual, and she asked me a list of questions that I am falling behind on or whatever. And she said, you know, we haven't done anything with our junior-senior group at all. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I haven't even thought of them. Here's a – I'm one guy, and I'm doing the ministry. Uh, you know, I'm working 60-plus hours a week on a lot of this stuff, trying to help parents, trying to do this stuff. Now, that's a stupid example because I'm, I'm just at a little parish, right, of 22,000 people. It's it's not, though. It, right. It, but it's a, yeah. when you start to look at the papacy – let alone your local diocesan, or if you look at your local diocesan bishop, let alone the papacy. That's what I should have said. The, I mean, if that is, if one man doing one job at one parish is that exhausting, what is it like when you magnify it outwards? You know, I think about the same thing with the office of the president. Regardless of who's the president, people are like, well, it was on his watch. And I'm like, yeah, but really it was on the watch of the department head and it was on the watch of their sub 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 manager and all this stuff because what ends up happening is he's responsible for a one point something billion roman catholics and oh the american church is important okay it's important you had three bishops say mccarrick did nothing wrong we can totally vouch for him and you had one cardinal cardinal john o'connor who was by all accounts a very a uh, great cardinal, and even Harrison Ford praised him in that one movie with the Irish guy, where uh, where that one guy that is killed in every movie that he's in almost. Who is that? Oh, that was in the Patriot game. Yes, they're Wait, like. Is that the scene where he talks to the priest from Georgetown or something? No, no, no. It's where in no. the you could see it in the previews. I remember this from the previews. How stupid stuff gets stuck in my head. But he's like, uh, oh, your friend there, he's Irish, huh? Because it's all about the Irish Republican Army and stuff at the time. And he goes, yeah, and so's Cardinal O'Connor. That's what Harrison Ford says. Um, Cardinal O'Connor was an incredible man. He really was. He was like the 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 pre-papal JP2. Of, like, he was a true Pope John Paul II cardinal, as was uh, Bishop Barron's cardinal up in Chicago. What's his name? Whatever, that guy. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget his name. Why can I, I, I know who you were talking about. Was a, yeah, but like these were these were men who were who were of the spirit of JP two. Now I say all this because you had a report go through official channels and make it to JP two. You had Cardinal O'Connor write a scathing condemnation of then Bishop uh, McCarrick, demanding him to be removed. There are credible accusations. Blah blah blah. And then you had a whole bunch of other bishops who were much closer to the problem writing to the cardinal saying, no, these are overblown. We know these stories, you know, all this stuff. And then on top of that, you have Cardinal McCarrick himself saying, I vehemently deny all of this stuff. Now, within JP2's worldview, he is a saint and he thinks the best of people. He thought the best of Father Maciel. And one of the things that was my point in a previous episode that y'all go unnamed, the point is no one persecutes Christ, the people in the church more than people in the church. No one does it. We persecute our own way more than the world does. The world would ignore mm-hmm. us, but we're savage to one another. And the, I think Pope John Paul II, who himself had been savaged so many times, like you were talking about in communist in the communist world, he was like, yeah, I'm used to this. These are liars. These are people who – but, like, people attack bishops and priests all the damn time. 
all the damn time. So he had, Pope John Paul II had plenty to feed him a counter-narrative of the truth. And those three bishops, I mean, oh my God, what is happening to those three bishops? They they are not in a happy place. Cardinal O'Connor did what he could. Now, we might sit here and arm, uh, arm, what do you call it, armchair quarterback? That, what do you call that? Mm-hmm. Arm, yeah, armchair yep. quarterback. Armchair right? quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Yep. We we always do this. This is this we, is we what have the a benefit hi- of hindsight. Yeah, we have the benefit of hindsight. Like he didn't have an investigation. He didn't have a guy coming out and saying he molested me. He didn't have any of that. He had rumors and hearsay that he felt were substantiated, and he brought it and was shot down. The 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 thing around JP two, his naivete. He's also in charge of a billion Catholics. And, and uh, hundreds and hundreds of dioceses. And when you think about the scope of the problem, he's not the bishop of Rome. He barely does anything in Rome. He is so concerned with the world. He was fighting communism. He was, you know, he's yeah. doing, building no, I, a post-World War II Europe, mm, right? Building yeah. the fall of the communist wall, Europe. Doing all these pastoral visits. And yet in the, and writing. Coming to Denver. Before it was cool. Yeah. And writing and delivering, uh, writing more encyclicals than pretty much all the other popes combined, and delivering homilies that would make a chubby little former homeschooler weep on the fields of uh, Toronto. Um, like, he did, you, you can't expect perfection. That's not what a saint is. Heroic virtue is not perfection. Well, and, and this, I, I unfortunately, think, is one of those areas. I think this is, a, this is just a terrible thing that we do have to grapple with. Yes. I do think that this I am leaning a little bit more towards the idea of like, hey, we might be canonizing people too fast, not because there aren't aren't um saints, but just because it's just when you're still having to live in the direct in in a world of the direct consequences of their actions, it can get kind of muddy, and I don't see the harm in waiting. This is another example of of um, we need to let like the future church handles like the, the the saints of our times, not us. Yeah, I I understand why some people you know I just um, I'm mean, he's one of the reasons why I can never not believe in God because of that man's witness and yeah. what I experienced when I heard that man speak and when I saw him in person and when I have when I you know have read his writings he just oozes faith and it just. He is the like he is a witness to hope, and I, I, yeah. I hate to use that term, but it's really true. Like, why do you hate to use that term? I I just don't. It's just the name of George Weigel's book. It's a great book. George Weigel kind of gives me a little bit of like the heebie-jeebies. I'm sure he's a really good dude, and he's written some great stuff. But it just feels very like I'm the authority on all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, relax. <laughs> Like, relax, Luke's the real authority. No, no, it's just, it's one of those, like, kind of just, like, gut feelings of, like, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt like everyone else is. And I'm not sure why yet, but I feel like I'm right. Um, I was right about some, some, like, people with that. Good day, mate. Anyways, um, it, uh, and so, yeah, I just think it's, it just is, you know, there's a lot of other things that have happened in the church because of him or like, not because of him, but like under his watch that are just kind of a tough pill to swallow right, right now. And I know it's not, I, I completely agree with that. Like, like that's like, that's in my mind. That's the battle I have, which is like, Luke, you know how this works. Like he doesn't like have control over this stuff and it, but it just, it's, it's still like, 
I I had a really good chat with a priest that I trust um, immensely about about all of this stuff. And he brought up this fantastic point where he said, you know, I'm convinced we're still scandalized by the incarnation. Mm -hmm. And he really encouraged me to, like, find Jesus in the humanity of all of this. You have to learn to climb down 10,000 ladders to kiss the dust of Christ's humanity. As yeah, a comment yeah. by the, an Eastern Orthodox priest. I love that. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. And it's that when he told me that, it really changed a lot of things for me because I think it was just like, oh my gosh, am I gonna be disappointed by the by the church again? And it allowed me to be okay with the disappointment because I know that Christ is there. Like I am convinced that this is a reckoning, that this is the justice of the Lord at work. I'm not saying the report itself is that. I'm just saying the overall, like, God will destroy your apostle for the sake of your soul, and I think this is what he's doing for the American church right right now. I, you know, it is one of the things that terrifies me with my own sin, and it's, it's a thing in prayer that I have, like, told God. I was like, take the podcast away if, it, if, it's, if it's in the way. Take my you know? podcast and, <laughs> and cancel it. it. <laughs> Take my microphone and unplug it to yours. To oh, that doesn't make sense. From your, I don't know. It's really yeah, yeah. <laughs> just quit while you are behind. I'm uh, <laughs> so behind, so behind. No, but it, and I just and that's been really encouraging for me, and it it has kind of helped me be like, okay, this is why I think we need to wait on the canonization because we need to be okay with the humanity mm -hmm. and i think it's mm -hmm. too hard for the the major like we can sweet like you and i can see the difference because we know how the sausage is made yeah. we've seen holy priests give terrible homilies we've seen holy peace be some of the crabbiest people in the world we've seen terrible priests who are kind of jerks give phenomenal homilies yeah. You know, like, like it's just like we can, but you're like my mom can't, like she doesn't. I mean, I, I'm and like nor I'm a, nor nor I'm should she like she's you know she's she's a school teacher. It's so funny that you, you know? say that because I think of people all the time who like you know I'm in the Catholic speaker world and I I I still am shocked even though I do this too I'm still shocked by people who really do have an evaluative list of, like, these are the best Catholic speakers. This is where you're – like, every talk is like, were they a Scott Hahn? Were they a Tim Staples? Were they this? Were they that? And you constantly feel like you're being evaluated. How much do priests feel like that every homily from those crowds? But it is so funny to me how when I meet Catholics who have been Catholics their whole lives, they're like, oh, my gosh, what a great homily. And I was like, Really? Just, <laughs> yeah, literally, it was just a bunch of cliches. Are you? Oh wait, this isn't your entire existence. You haven't yeah. heard that same thing four thousand times. You haven't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, this is yeah. your first retreat you've ever been on. So when you know, like when, when when they do this thing, this is like new to you. Okay, that's like, cool. That's you're cool. laughing when they say no purple. You know, like, and 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 I'm not trying to. Ins I'm like, this is not me trying to insult. Like, and I'm so my mom. She's You're a not very a wonderful Patty. holy lady. Patty's amazing. You can't insult Patty. The the insults just wash. She's the Teflon woman. Yeah, it just. Uh, 
she, you know, she's just like I could still be like, wait, they did he did what? Why would he do that? Like, you know, like I just I yeah. know exactly exactly how she would respond if she heard that and like the face that um she would make and that breaks my heart. And then that's yeah. like that's who we have to think of because that's who's important. Like this is why the church went hard against the whole Dan Brown books and and some people were like, why is this a big deal? It is like just a story. Oh, uh, it's in the fiction section. Yeah, but I'm like because to the church, the you know, eighty year old woman who reads this. She's the world to the church. Yeah. And that's the great thing about the church is we think about like, well, yeah, this, you know, your average Joe, Joe Schmo who just doesn't have time to think and, you know, that they're going to go, oh, wait, what? This is like that could really scandalize a person's faith. And that's not cool in the slightest. Yeah. You know, and so, um, yeah, um, I thought we covered the JP2 stuff pretty well. Are you good with that? Yeah, I just want to – can I just say one thing, and we can we can kind of wrap this up because we're going long. It's late for you. I know you, you uh, no, have one I'm thing fine. that you want to say. I can keep going. There's, okay. There's more stuff in here, but okay. it's, it's, it's up to you. Anyway, I want to quote one of my favorite unsung heroes of our Patreon page. I don't really follow any of this stuff on my own. I only hear it from this fine podcast, so I can't wait to hear. Anastasia, right, she doesn't comment as much as some people. But every time she comments and it comes up in my emails, it's one of those people. She's one of those people that I always hit archive because they, they got good things to say. Say, Emily, Moira, right? There's a lot of people on our on our uh, forum. They got a lot James, of good yeah. things to say. Yeah. And yep. I, I yep. always, yep. instead of delete, 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 which it was funny. I was out tonight before me and Luke recorded celebrating a buddy's birthday who's a big fan of the show. Hey, how you doing? Um. We were talking, and I said, I pulled out my phone. I said, uh oh, Luke just asked a very simple question because I already have 20 responses. And <laughs> I just showed him, and I scrolled through, and they're like, oh my gosh, every comment gets emailed. And I go, and every reply to a comment. Um, but <laughs> you can change that. I know, I know, but I don't want to because I like reading them this way. Uh, <laughs> but the there are comments like, like, rate that. Like, I don't want to follow this stuff, I don't need. To follow this stuff, but there is a, there's a certain level that I think we should understand how the sausage is made, and how the sausage is made in the human all too human side of the church that, as the Catechism, Pope Benedict, everyone says, is always in need of reform. The side of this is you still have men protecting their power protecting their position, careerism, mm -hmm. uh, effing up, and even though they didn't intend to because of profound incompetence, now they're covering up their F-ups. Uh, men who are giving their friends the benefit of the doubt, hey, listen, I'm gay, but I'm not active, but there was this cute seminarian, and we were at my lake house, and I went too far with him. I regret it. Okay, don't worry about it. Just never do it again. I'm going to cover, you know, it was, a, it was a mistake. It was a failing, right? You have these scenarios that are, that, you know, I mean, just take a normal, a normal bishop who's friends with other bishops, right? They're doing these meetings in D.C. all the time. They're getting to know each other. Maybe they were priests in seminary together. The, and there are tracks within, you know, oh, he's a rector of a seminary at the age of 38, He's got, He's on the bishop track by 50. You know, like they have sayings like that, right? Or whatever it might be. Um, it's not that it's just a good old boys club, although I'm sure there's elements of that. But it's that very human, all too human side where, like, I mean, have you ever done something wrong and wish no one found out? 
And then all of a sudden, five years later, there's a report and an investigation. And, oh, every single email you've ever had with this person is going to be brought out. Like, oh, oh, crap. Oh, crap. Right? Like, I think there are elements of very innocuous, neutral things where, you know, like what I mean by that is just just general incompetence. I think there was active cover-ups. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of naivete from people who are good and believe in the good of others. Um, and then there's just the burden of administrating something that is impossible as for one man to actually run. Ultramontanism is not just a heresy. Ultramontanism is a bad way to run the Catholic Church. We have bishops, and they have apostolic power, not just the Pope. And we need to pay attention. We need to give them more credence. We need to have more of them. But some, something's got to give with this. Something's got to give. You see a lot of uh, stuff in there as well. That One of the things that really disturbed me, and I've thought about this a lot, yeah. was um, priests saw him touch people. Or you had other bishops who saw him touch people, and they were like, oh, that's kind of weird, but, you know, whatever. And what narrative do you think they told themselves in their head? To justify that, I don't know. Well, he grabbed that guy's dick. He must be really, really into fraternities. He's just, or he's really affectionate, you know. And I I know we're getting a little bit into like the hot take area here, but I think this is (laughs) this needs to be brought up and it needs to be talked about. One, a lot of sexual abuse isn't actually about sex. It's It's about about power. It's it's about power. And I think it's a really now it can definitely get intertwined with sex. I don't think it needs to be that. that black and white but it, it there's a power play here and I, I i'm not quite sure that um you know there are some people who have said like oh this is proof that you know he was just a very um, lonely man who just wanted affection or like you know kind of saying like he it was clear that he had some sexual like depravities but you know uh does this is this why priests really um, need to be married i'm like it's not about that necessarily that that's could be how he's expressing this stuff, and those could be things that he's that he, he's feeling. I don't know. I wasn't in his shoes when he, you know, like we don't, we we ultimately won't ever really know why did he do this. Yeah. But we like one thing that like some of the research on this type of behavior does show that this is about power. And then two, and so I think that's one of the reasons why when people see when they when they see him do that stuff because because it's about power they see the power that he has and they're intimidated by that power and they feel powerless to stop that um but this is a this is a narrative i go back to over and over sorry this is a story i always think about when i hear about stuff like this like these guys who saw mccarrick you know he would rub dude's chest and they were like oh it's just you know somehow they unjustified it yeah my you know, we hear all the time how back in the day men beat their wives and it was just okay. That's not true. My, I remember hearing from my grandfather when he was a kid, this would have been during the time of the Second World War because I don't think he was even 10 yet or something. And he said they were, that his dad was reading them the newspaper and there was a story of a man who was um, sent to jail because he beat his wife. And my great grandfather, Put the paper down. And he said, now, boys, I really want you to um, hear me. Don't you ever, ever touch a woman. Ever. Yeah. And this is 1940s. This is the period where everyone thinks this is fine. I'm like, th- to some people, this was not fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> to the majority is, of people. Yeah, to decent, good people in, in Belfountain, Ohio, this was fucking wrong. Yeah. And, um, and... 
we need to hold people like we need like have some standards. That's not that's like not a presentism. People were against um, sexual abuse back in the 80s and back in the 90s and back in the 70s. It's not just a different era. It's not boys will be boys horse crap. That's ridiculous. This is power, and this is which is exactly what you're saying. That like that we need to. Um, this is this could be why the like the Lord has has only given us Pope Francis because these are people who, as sure as heck, do not smell like the sheep in the slightest. Scandal. Um, one thing I want to add too. Here's a really good good question from um, this. Uh, this is like Moira. Um, how do oh, we her, being, her comment is awesome. This is good. Yeah. How do we avoid being too dismissive of of real of like real crises, but also not turning every problem into an omen for the downfall of humanity? I'm tired of being emotionally uh, manipulated by false by false prophets. I'm tired of being emotionally manipulated by false prophets. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, and me, here's the know. deal. Here's the deal. You and I not only can we outlive the procrastination or the um, the false predictions of false prophets, not only will we outlive them, they, they generally are a three- to six-month lifespan, and we can do so much good for the church. We can do so much good for our neighbor. We can actually love real people with the love of Jesus Christ right now, today. We can actually do this. Instead of hand-wringing in the damn bishops, the damn Vatican bureaucracy, we can really bring people to the Eucharist. We can really do that. We have to turn this stuff off. In, in, we have to tune it out in as big a way as possible. Hope is the supernatural gift of Jesus Christ that he's going to um, reconcile all things to himself. We are guaranteed that fact is going to happen. Like, we know that Jesus wins and that this is not some like stupid, I'm a cliche thing that that he is that he has conquered death and he can change our lives. There is like there's nothing Satan can do about the fact that Jesus Christ can change your life. And putting your faith in the institution of the church, like after I read this document, after after I had read everyone, I'm talking about this before we were going to. I thought we were going to like record about this. I read the Office of Readings. I thought it was so ironic that I just spent the last hour and a half just like feeling such pain over the state of the church. Yet it was the church that I turned to in my time of prayer and like her ways of praying because it's through the church that I, it's, it's through like Christ has given us the church to experience him and no one can stop that from happening. Not Taylor Marshall, not church militant among none of those people, not James Martin, not like no one can change that. That is, it is an, that is why the church is the church. And it's good to fight for justice. It's good to protect the church. It's good to want the church to be around. It's good to not want to have like persecution. But no matter what happens, we are never going to lose to the Catholic church. It might look really different. We could lose her power and her authority. We could lose a lot of like things about her that are really important. And, you know, I would say like, like quite necessary, but the essence of who the church is, the, the, the you know, the, um, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And it's important to remember that, that um, it's so easy to get caught up in like the doom and gloom and people trying to just, you know, they make money off of this stuff. 
Like, I hate the fact that some of our most downloaded episodes come after um, was during the summer of was during the whole summer, like the summer of scandal. It sucks. It bothers me. I almost if I could, I would not do ads on those episodes. It's kind of hard because we have we like preset our ads. But, in you know. A perfect world, I would not have an ad on an episode where we talk about this stuff because I don't want to make money off of it. And so I would just say, like, do your best to try to just, if it becomes too much and they really lack hope for the world and for the church and for, and for, her, and for her leaders to tune those people out. I'm done. Okay. Blessed Moira responds to our own post. Also, they said the report was compiled with a combination of Vatican records and interviews with key witnesses and players. But how do we know what is true and what is so much Mm -hmm. bureaucratic ass covering? Mm -hmm. It seems like a Mm -hmm. lot of he said, he said, which is hilarious because it's about the clergy, plus (laughs) supposedly pious higher-ups dismissing reports of McCarrick because it was just some homosexual canoodling as though there wasn't a predatory aspect given the power imbalance. Let's fit them all with chastity belts, all of men in tights, but they get zapped when they touch someone inappropriately. <laughs> always, Boy always, always. Yeah. But I, I would say this, like, the my, my hot take, this was my hot take, was, wow, Pope Francis comes off Scott clean in all this shenanigans. And Pope John Paul, our supposed saint, really looks bad. <laughs> like, that was my initial. So Viagano. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, yeah. Vigano looks like, uh, oh, I, you should have Vigano. told. Yeah. You should have told him, but you said nothing, even though it was told to you. And, uh, Ouellette told you, Bishop Ouellette, Mark Ouellette told you to, to inform or whatever it was. Um, there is this element. So one of the things that I, I read that I really liked from Catholic News Agency was the actual access to what the, the papacy released was full letters, full emails, full transcripts, documented index that they that like this was an unprecedented handing over of pub, to the public of this information. That like you have the whole one, you see that the Vatican saves everything. Um but also you see these correspondences like they have the original letters written from Ouellette or written from Cardinal O'Connor. I think that is pretty daggum fascinating. But you're right. Like, in the end, these are things. This is where faith breaks down, where belief, natural belief breaks down, because uh, belief is based on two things. Number one, the uh, my level of trust with the eyewitness and the level of credibility or um, competency that the eyewitness has in the area that they're giving testimony, right? Like, if you and I saw a crime and and people could trust our testimony, but we were hammered drunk when we saw it, there's there's an element of a loss of credibility because of a loss of competence, right? If I take my car to a car, uh, an auto repair mechanic, they'll just make up crap like and take advantage of me because I know nothing about cars. So I go and take it to a – I get a second opinion. If they agree, guess what? It's not that they're both liars. It's that they both diagnose the same problem. They're experts, and I now trust them. But the problem with this situation is it's like the bishops are the problem. The bishops were protected seemingly by higher-ups in the Vatican bureaucracy. Not that they are higher than the bishops, but there are bishops in the Vatican bureaucracy and priests and and you know probably lay people too who did a lot of ass covering, right? 
Um, Cardinal, what is it, Bertone or whatever? Like, there, there's a lot of people that are being implicated, especially in Vigano's first letter, that is still out there. That is still that we needed to like that there is enough reason to doubt the credibility or the competency in this. But I would say that the only way the Vatican can try to repair that is by giving as much original source material as possible. And from the very limited stuff that I've read, as Luke said in the beginning, he's read so much more of it um, than me. I would say that they've they've gone as close to that limit as as I think they can, like turning over original records. So, Luke, can we talk about the real issue though with all of this? Apple just released their own Apple Silicon computers. I know the M1 MacBook Air, the 13 inch MacBook Pro, the new Mac Mini. We haven't even talked about it once. If we could just get about oh, let's say a hundred more. Uh, people on the Patreon page, we could both get our new Macs. <laughs> I don't. I have a new one. I have a new one. I'm good. You need a new one. I do. I really need a new one. I, I priced them out for you today. I literally did. <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm getting. Uh, I'm. I'll, I'm getting close to to when it's time for me to get one. But we'll. Uh, you know. Just. All right. I think we need our, Luke. We're 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 hitting. Uh, almost two hours. We need. We to, did it. Woo! Classic. It. I'm catching foxes move right there. Let's go another half hour. Yeah, Emily, Emily, another excellent, an excellent contributor. We're very lucky. We have a lot of good patrons. Who's, I, I feel bad because this past week we, we haven't, I haven't been able to do a lot. Yeah, but they but, they uh, have so much good stuff. They have yeah. people. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, let me just tell you: throw in two dollars and become a part of this community because the people that are it there is pretty cool. Yeah, I, I have yeah. to tell you, I've been listening to a lot of Catholic podcasts this last like, maybe two weeks as I was gearing up for a handful of. Um, Things that I was doing at my church was sacrament preparation, and still those talks that talk content from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I'm not lying. Yes, um, sir. Why are you just talking about productivity of methods? This is a talk <laughs> on the sacraments. What? Oh crap! Sorry. Yeah. What? Oh crap! I've been listening to another but Cal Newport and Merlin Man. Um, <laughs> no, but they're they're okay. This is the shift that I'm seeing. Like. I, I do not begrudge Catholic answers for being Catholic answers. The, you know what they're doing. You know what they are. They give. They do their thing, and they do their thing very, very well. And I've listened to about eight different um, different versions of their podcast, whether it's the Trent Horn thing or the individual episodes or different things. They do a very good job at producing what they do if that's the kind of content you're looking for. But the thing that I'm talking about is the place where people talk about Catholic stuff and they go – Oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Like, I really, you know, like, I really just love. And this is the funny thing that you're starting to see. Those style of podcasts are starting to go down. And the things like, like, for instance, Matt Fred, when you when you tune into Pints with Aquinas, you are getting an honest Matt Fred. You are getting a man who mm-hmm. wrestles, mm-hmm. a man who knows his faith, who's not afraid to talk about it, which is why Matt likes our show, why we love Matt. Um, I've listened. I've actually stopped listening to Matt's podcast almost entirely and watching the crap out of it on YouTube. That guy is so handsome, and his it's, setup is, is amazing. Yeah. He's got some really cool round glasses. Yeah, he has he a does. good setup. God bless him. Uh, but I, uh, I, One day, I hope we can all like do something. I think it would be very fun. Yeah. But I... Um, I started to listen, to, and I and I got caught up in a lot of the, oh, praise the Lord, this is so nice. Like, but that's not the type of, that's nice for people who don't want 
to confront the reality of the church. But there's a lot of reality that the people who listen to this, I believe, want to confront the human, I always say this, the human, comma, all too human side of the church. I want to confront that, not because I despise the church, not because I despise the bishops or the priests or the laity, but because I know that that's where sanctity lies. The humanity of Christ is the gateway to heaven. You and I are not called to be angels. We're called to be humans. Some of us, like Gregory of Nazianzus, an excellent bishop or an excellent theologian, uh, an amazing church father, called the theologian by St. Thomas Aquinas, by all reports, a terrible administrator of a diocese. Right? When he left, people were like, thank God you're gone. Good day, sir. Good day, sir. He couldn't manage himself out of a hole. But you know what? He still changed the course of human history. Some people, like Mother Frances Cabrini, they literally, the bishop saw in her the skills of management and organization, probably the charism of administration that St. Paul talks about, and just sent her in Italy, just sent her to places where like, they, it was in total disrepair, and she fixed it with, with, within a few months. It was humming along amazingly all throughout Italy, all throughout Italy. And then she was sent, thank God, to New York and then became the first U.S. citizen that was canonized a saint. Mother Frances Cabrini is amazing, but she is not typical. You know, a lot of people, uh, you, you got to think about this. A lot of men enter the priesthood because they are deeply spiritual men, and many of them are introverts. They're not here to argue. They're not here to debate. They draw their strength from being alone, not being with crowds. And many of us lay people who have a voice in the church are extroverts. We get our energy from crowds and being with people. And, and there is, I think, a personality conflict, but there also is a management conflict where we're like why won't you be confrontational this is your people they're dying why won't you tell the truth from the pulpit why won't you live the faith with a radical abandon why won't you you know whatever hans there's one balthazar cares about why don't you look at art you know all the things just the problem is everywhere (laughs) but the but the things are there's like a lot of this like very human side just talking about temperaments and personalities and all this stuff like, we always talk about, oh, the church, you know, you got these young boys who become priests, and now they're put in charge of, like, a million-dollar enterprise, a million-dollar nonprofit, and they have no business experience. And it's like, yeah, that's true. That's true. But there's, there's so many, like you say, nuance that I think sometimes we miss, and we're so quick to dismiss good priests because they might not be amazing administrators, and we look to the Protestant world, we look at the Andy Stanleys of the world who are executing at a level that any CEO or any board would hire him instantly to be a CEO, but he's executing at a church, a multi-campus church, all that stuff. His stuff is incredible. His management and leadership is incredible. Would it work in the Catholic Church? I don't necessarily think it imports clearly, but it really is. But I think he's incredibly dangerous theologically. There are a lot of huge, there's a lot of good stuff that I steal from him all the time. There's a lot of huge holes in his stuff. So I would just say before, let let me just give like a word of hope that Luke was talking about earlier. Like we have to extend to one another a longer line of grace because not every priest was called into parish life to be a administrator, to be an administrator or a manager. St. Jerome, right, in his story when he was a monk and uh, the Bishop of Constantinople wanted him to be a priest and he refused. 
He refused. And then the Pope wrote to him and said, no, you really need to be a priest right now for the people. He said, okay, I'll do it as long as you don't make me take on all these diocesan priestly duties, and I still get to live the life of a monk. I'll become a priest and help out every so often. And they said, okay, fine, but we need you to be a priest. There are so many people who, are, who want to be scholars, right? Like I think of Pope Benedict who left the papacy, who, didn't, or who entered into the papacy. He didn't want it. He wanted to be a scholar. I'm done. I did my thing for JP2. Now I'm ready to go. Oh, now I'm crap. Now I'm Pope. <laughs> where, where, where? We we need to ex- yeah, rah, rah, rah. we need to extend a lot of our clergy and a lot of our lay leaders some grace. Maybe every so often they're going to like a, a woman's butt on Instagram. You know, <laughs> just extend them some grace. <laughs> you never know why. Yeah, maybe they maybe they just really like the colors in the photo. Maybe they were just like, oh, sh-, like um, I, I'm. <laughs> what's the thing where it's like? He actually, you know, like, where the guy was like, oh, oh, brother, please avert your eyes. And he's like, no, I see her humanity. Maybe he was like, you have a dignity. Stop on doing all these this. fashionista blogs. <laughs> Listen, girl, you are so beautiful on the inside. You don't need to take your clothes off. Quit trying to get a date with me, whoever you are, Francis. I don't even yeah. know. <laughs> no, Listen, girl. I just want to say there's no need to have all of these leggings like. <laughs> like. All right, Luke, where do we go from here? Take us home. Our bags are packed. We have our tickets. Send us home. Boots tied tight. I hope I don't get into a fight. Oh, back to school. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I just, like, praise be to Jesus Christ. That's all I can say. And I, oh, here's one thing that I do want to add. If there's one thing that I would like, you know, to take away from this is we have to, dive into our um, own humanity and it all and all of its ugliness and we have to confront it and we have to find you know Christ there and that doesn't mean that's like oh here's the good at times like okay here's here's the ugliness how do we make this right and that often means justice which means acknowledging the wrong things that happened and um we this should not end until every stone is unturned Every ugliness has been exposed, has been called out until as much justice as can happen does happen. Because in in order to have mercy, you have to start with justice because you have to acknowledge what happened. And we need to dive into this. And I think um, the guy on the Catholic um, News Agency podcast who was not JD, who one time didn't like my opinion— on Mad Men, but whatever. Um, Ed, Ed Condon or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, Ed. Um, <laughs> he had a great point. And I, I haven't, I haven't, again, I have not I've read the report, but I have read plenty of church documents that I know what he is talking about. He, one of his biggest critiques of the report was just its pure lack of humanity. And that is a major issue in the church that needs to stop. Mm. This whole facade we want to put out there where, um, you know, so a, about a about a year ago or so now, there was a church I went to, I um, went to, to mass and I, um, I knew the parish priest there and they made an announcement that he was go that he was being placed on admin, on administrative leave. And I went, oh, my gosh, this is awful. This is not good. And then I heard them say they were going to have a – that the diocese was going to come the next day to answer all of, like, all, all of their questions. They were going to 
um, have them. I won't say who it was at the diocese, but they're going to have like this person and this. They're going to have the guy. They didn't say the priest's name, but they said his role. And when I heard his role, I thought, this is going to be a disaster. And it was. It absolutely was. The diocese ended up having to uh, they had, they had like apologize on the news about it. It was, it was awful. And it was bad because this priest, when he talks, lacks empathy. Mm. And he feels very robotic. I don't know why he's in the position. That, actually, I do know why he's in the um, position that, that he's in. Why? But I don't. Why? Just give a to give a vagueness thing because this is he, the human all to human side. Yeah, he did some really big stuff um, overseas, and it's kind of a oh, like here's your like I don't I think it's more like a hey, you've done some really good things. You're very you're very highly qualified, so let's give you this job. That's my opinion. Well, that's what I've heard of like why of why he got it, and. He's just every time I've had people who've had to interact with him, they've come away being like, Ugh. but then, I, but then I will say I've also seen him do some, I mean, truly heroics acts as a priest. When there was a shooting downtown, people saw he just grabbed his he grabbed his um, bulletproof um, vest and he ran towards it. So like that's this dude, but he's not good at like being empathetic when people need someone to kind of talk them. Like talk, you know, when you need someone to really be past past pastoral and talk them like um uh, talk them through something, he's not going to be your guy. And the church can't keep putting; they can't have that tone anymore when they do stuff like this. Yeah, it it has to stop. This kind of um robotic. It's weird. It's really weird. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if, you know, it's a personality type or if it's just the church wanting to kind of maintain this almost like stoic, you know, aspect to them. I, I but you know, we we don't live in Christendom anymore. We we are in a we are in a po- we are in a post-Christian culture and we kind of have to adapt in order to get our message uh we we have to adapt to get our message a a cross right now and people will always will always remember how you make them feel and when the church writes up things like this these um documents can no longer be seen to be written by by robots they have to have they have to bleed humanity and it has to we have to feel that we we, we have to feel something when we read these things because if not, it's not, it's just going to come across as less as like you know not as um not human, and that's not good. That need and that is a problem in the church that needs to stop. Let me end with one quote that I think summarizes everything beautifully. Neither Garabonto, Garaboto nor Pope Francis's official account follow each other on Instagram. Pope Francis's Instagram account does not follow any other accounts. On Twitter, Garibaldo commented, <laughs> quote, at least I'm going to heaven. And BRB on my way to the Vatican, pictures posted to her Instagram account suggest she was not, in fact, at the Vatican. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's funny. Oh. It's horrible. And it, 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 I... um. I think it was Annie Mitchell, who's who is a radio host out on the Catholic um, news station here in Cincinnati. 
I think she set up something on Twitter about how like one of the one of the things that really uh, that is really awful about that whole poem of liking a thing is it's going to take away f- from one the McCarrick report, and it's just become another chance for people to um, mock chastity. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm also like, uh, people don't really I'm listening to the radio anymore, so. <laughs> but then I'm like, no, older people do. God bless them. All hey, right, Luke. All right, this is this is good. We haven't had an episode. I, listen, I'm just proud of myself for that. We, you know, it is a quarter after one, and I'm not drunk. So good for us. Yeah, I, I haven't even been drinking. <laughs> he said, lying. Yeah. He oh, lied to dozens, dozens. He lied to dozens of Latvians. <laughs> uh, Lat- Latvia, we love you. L- 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 listen. We're gonna come out at some point in time. Yes, we're probably gonna fly first first class, but it'll be great. Live show in Latvia. What if we did a live show in Latvia? La 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 Latvia. Latvia. This is what happens when you have people who write for the church watch I'm a fiddler on the roof. Latvia.